Good morning. Glad you're here. Welcome to Marine Creek Church. Uh, I'm Pastor Matt. If this is your first time here, if you could, you've got a guest card in your seat or somewhere around the area of your posterior. Um, If you would fill that out just so we can know you're here and be able to send you a card and thank you for being here. Um, We don't stalk people. Um, We just... uh, we just want to know you're here. Uh, this morning, I've got to stay really focused. Our topic is really heavy, and I'm just going to tell you, just based on what we're teaching this morning, I have not had this much trouble putting together a teaching in a long time, I think just based on the nature of what we're teaching. And then it seems like uh, every chance the enemy gets this morning, he is just smacking me and smacking our team. And um, so let me just just pause for a minute before we get in this, and let's just pray before we get into this teaching. So, Father, we love you. We praise you. We lift you up. We thank you that, that your power is in control, um, that you are greater than us. You're greater than everything around us. And we just ask for your peace and your guidance this morning. Uh, we lift you up and we humble ourselves because uh, you are worthy to be exalted and we are uh, in awe of who you are. So we praise you, we love you, we invite you in this place this morning, open our hearts and our minds, let us engage with all of our being um, as we approach your word and we love you so much in Jesus' name, amen. Um, Thank you for that. We've been going through the book of Matthew since we launched and we're about uh, eight months, we're coming into our eighth month and uh, Uh, So we're at chapter 8, so if you want to get in your Bible and uh, crack that puppy open and go to Matthew chapter 8, we're going to be there in just a minute. Um, I'm going to take a little bit of a way to get to there. Uh, We've been teaching about uh, uh, the life of Jesus, and we've gotten really kind of into some meat here over the last couple months, really, on the Sermon on the Mount, and then Jesus coming off of that mountain, and the power and the authority that Jesus uh, has, and how that is being uh, shown to the world around us. And so we get into Jesus' authority over sickness. We, we saw him uh, just reach out and touch the leper. We saw him heal the centurion servant with a word. Uh, we saw him over uh, his authority and power over nature and the weather last week. And uh, we talked about what it looks like to cost the cost of following Jesus. And uh, now we're going to get into Jesus's power. It's the real meat of the power. And it's that power over the enemy. Um, We have to recognize, you know, we can't live in this uh, Pollyanna society or mentality like everything is all good. And there is no force of evil. There is no evil that comes against us. You know, everybody's just on our side encouraging us. We have to recognize as much as we put our faith in God, we have to recognize there is an enemy that has a mission that is very anti-God and very much against the things of God. And we honestly, as a church, we try to put names and faces and organizations to to the enemy. Let's let's deal with the enemy for who the enemy is. Um, Let's not try to make the enemy manifest in government or people, let's, let's call it for what it is. There is an enemy, it is Satan, and he is at odds with God, and that is the authority and power that we're going to talk about Jesus having uh, this morning. So, uh, in Matthew chapter 8, uh, Jesus it gets on the scene, and, and we start to see this power at work. This is what we call a parallel passage. You've got the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is really our flower child, kind of, he, he writes the more poetic, and he's just like the, you know, you'd like to sit in a pasture today and read John, you know, 
Um, he's, he's like me, I guess. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke write very specific, detailed accounts. And Matthew is writing from this perspective. Matthew is Jewish, and he's writing this account to the Jewish nation to say the king that you've been waiting for, all of the prophecies, everything that has pointed to this Messiah that would be born, that would deliver us, he's here. And so Matthew is really excited in what he's saying. He's like, the king you've been waiting on, here he is. I mean, he's right here. And so uh, Luke and Mark write from different accounts of the same, this same situation. It's just like the, the explosion um, in a movie, you know, when you watch an action movie. Ladies, I know I'm probably talking over your head here for a minute, but um, the perfect movie for a man and woman would, like I said, let's blow something up and then talk about it. But uh, think about... Think about the explosion, and as it's going off, I mean, we know mentally it's like one big kaboom, you know, but in a movie, it's like kaboom, and then this angle, kaboom, and then this angle, kaboom, you know, and it explodes like eight times, and there's all these camera angles on it. That's what's going on in the Gospels. Matthew is writing about this situation from the perspective he is seeing. Then you've got Luke and and Mark writing from the perspective they see. So really we've got three different sets of eyes and it's still the truth. It's still what's going on. But they're writing based on the perspective that they're seeing and and the way God's created them and how they're wired. And it's God's word, but he is using these men to write his account. And so we see in this that Jesus has power over Satan. We understand that, that Satan has a mission. In John 10.10, 10, his mission is very clear. He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. I mean, it's pretty basic, and it's, it's honestly pretty devastating. And his whole mode, his, his agenda is to defeat anything that God wants to do. Now, you want to get, I'm a, I'm a very calm, uh, well, I wouldn't say calm. I'm a very non-confrontational person. Um, I don't like conflict, but if you want to see me get just absolutely riled up, you mess with my kids. And I'm telling you, I turn into a different person. I can, the hair on the back of my neck will stand up. I mean, it just, it's just like the fight comes out. You know, I don't even know who I am. I think I'm cool at that point. I'm like, man, he's tough. But mess with my kids, and that changes how you're going to deal with Matt. The devil knows this. I mean, he wants to inflict as much pain as he can on God. How does he do that? He messes with God's kids. He messes with God's creation. And he, honestly, I don't want you to walk away feeling any worse, but you really are not that that significant to the enemy. The significance that we bring to the enemy is just we're a tool for him to inflict pain on God. Now, when he's inflicting pain or when he's coming at me, let me tell you, I'm, I'm calling on God. This hurts. And so I'm not trying to make us feel insignificant, but the enemy looks at us as a tool, as a mode, as a method to inflict more pain on God. Let me give you some background on uh, Satan or Lucifer um, or the devil. I love in, in Creek Kids, if you, they ask a question, you know, I think we train our kids right. We ask a question, we give them candy, you know, if you get it right. I learned very early in kids' church when I could stay in there. My, my behavior wasn't the best. Um, so I remember more times getting brought into the main service to sit with my parents than making it through a children's church. But I made it through some. And I learned this very quickly. The answer is one of three things. It's either God 
Jesus or the devil? So any question that's asked, you raise your hand because you want the candy, right? And like, what's the answer, man? God, no, we want to try again. Jesus, no, we want to try again. The devil, and the kids say it, the devil. No, the answer is four, but better luck next time. So we need, we need to have some understanding of who this enemy is. The enemy, the devil, Satan, Lucifer, is a created being. He was a cherub. He was an angel. He was someone that God created. And let me read to you in Ezekiel uh, 28. I'm going to go there. And uh, I put it up on the screen if you want to follow along. And I'm back in the pages where my... I got a new Bible when we launched the church. And we've been teaching through Matthew, so my Old Testament's all stuck together. So... Don't hate on me. Okay, Ezekiel 28. Uh, he is talking. It in, starts in verse 12. I'm going to back up to verse 11. But this is, he's giving us a description and talking about uh, Lucifer or Satan or the devil. And so in verse 11, I'll back up. It says, the word of the Lord came to me. And this is what it says. Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, in the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, ruby, topaz, and emerald, chrysolite, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth I made a spectacle of you before kings. By your many sins and dishonored trade, you have desecrated your sanctuaries. So I made a fire come out from you, and it consumed you. And I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. He's talking about Lucifer here. He was a created angel, a guardian cherub. He had authority. He had rank. He had wisdom. He had beauty. I have not let my beauty get in the way of me, honestly, because I'm just not there. And wisdom, I, you know, I don't have the best. I'm not the dullest knife in the drawer, but I'm not the sharpest either. You see what I'm saying? But here you have a created being that God put all of his creativity in, his beauty, his wisdom, his, his splendor, and it went to his head. And this sin that came about was pride because the enemy, Satan, Lucifer, the guardian cherub, felt that he could be elevated to the level of God. And he was cast out of heaven. It says he fell from heaven. What that means in Hebrew is that his authority was removed from God's counsel. And so he has no power with God. Now, he does have power, and we have to understand that. But he has no power over God. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I could probably do things a little bit better than God. And I have, to be, I have to go through a gut check here because if we get proud, God's going to humble us. And so I try to very humbly come before God and say, God, I just don't understand. But we need to understand 
that we have an enemy. And I know this is a heavy topic this morning. This isn't the fluffy feel-good, here's, here's how we're going to have a great week, and yay, we're going to go and take the land in Jesus' name. This is hard stuff. This is dark stuff. This is real stuff. And, and let's get into this and understand that Jesus has this power over the enemy. And we'll pick up in Matthew chapter 8. We'll start at verse 28. If you've got a Bible, you can follow along with me. If you don't, I've got it on the screens. And if you need a Bible, we believe that everyone should have a Bible. So if you ha- don't have one and want one, we have one just for you. You can have it. Um, here's what happened. Last week, remember Jesus and the disciples were in the boat, storm came up, Jesus stands up and rebukes the storm, and uh, the disciples look at each other in the boat and they're like, who is this man? I mean, even the wind and the waves obey him. What guy have we just connected with here? And so they're starting to question this, like, there's something about this guy. You know, I don't know if you've ever met somebody, you know, like, there's just something about them that's special. Can't put my finger on it, but they're special, you know? That's what's starting to happen here. And they get on the other side of the lake or the Sea of Galilee and says this, when he arrived, when Jesus arrived at the other side of the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Let me stop there and let's talk about this. You've got the disciples in the boat who just see Jesus calm the storm. The disciples had seen Jesus come off the mountain and heal the guy with leprosy who said to the centurion, it's done at this very hour, it's done. You're a man of power, I'm a man of power. I said it, here it is, it's done, he's healed. He goes to Peter's mother-in-law's or Peter's house and heals his mother-in-law. And he cast out demons. Now, I didn't get into the demon casting out then because it's not right to put mother-in-law and demon in the same teaching. You know, I do have some wisdom in that area. But he had cast out some demons there. And so these disciples have seen this power and authority at work. And then in the boat, they question, who is this man that the wind and the waves obey him? There's something about him. But then when Jesus steps on the ground and he's approaching this town, this region, there are two men that are living in the graveyard that are possessed by demons. And they walk up and they see Jesus. There's no question about who they are encountering. They say, who are, son of God, why have you come here? Have you come before the appointed time to torture us? There was no doubt whose authority they were seeing and experiencing. There was not a question. Now think about that. We sometimes question who God is, but then we have to understand the enemy knows exactly who he is. And these demons recognize Jesus' authority. In James chapter 2, verse 19, James writes, You believe that there's one God, that's, that's great. But even the demons believe that. And here we see that. They're very focused in, in their thought. We try to bring in all these ideas of who God is, and the enemy that, that honestly stands against us and stands against God, he's very focused. He knows who God is. Not only do they recognize Jesus' authority, they recognize their destiny. Because they say there, have you come before the appointed time to torture us? They understand that somewhere out there in the future, there's an end in sight. In the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verse 10, it talks about that end in sight. 
when Lucifer, when Satan and all of his agents will be cast into the lake of sulfur. The enemy will be destroyed once and for all. It's kind of an exercise in futility if you, if you kind of think about it. So here you've got a demon that knows he's working for the enemy, that knows at the appointed day that he will be destroyed, and yet he continues. You ever feel like that? I'm just, that's, I'm just thinking that out. Sometimes I feel like that. Sometimes I feel like I have just let go of the authority and power of God. And I know what I'm doing is not right. I know that it's going to catch up with me, but yet I continue to do it anyway. It's kind of the definition of insanity that I keep doing this knowing I'm never going to change the result. But these demons, they understood there was an end in sight. There was a destiny, and it it was a dreadful destiny. In the other accounts of this, in Luke and Mark, Jesus actually asked the man. Now, they, in Mark and Luke, they write of one man. Matthew says two men. It's not a contradiction of the Gospels. It's the perspectives. Some, some scholars believe that it, that it was two men and one did all the talking. So Mark and Luke are like, well, he's just talking with one man. So the detail of one or two men is not important. But here we see Matthew. He says two men. Jesus asked the man, what's your name? And he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. So a legion in the Roman army was about 6,000 troops. And it would be broken down. You'd have like two on horse, 2,000 on horseback, 2,000 archers, and 2,000 foot soldiers. And when he says, my name is legion, for we are many, then you start to think, okay, this man is possessed by a lot of demons. There's a lot going on here. Think about the place that, that he encountered Jesus. It was in a graveyard among the tombs. The enemy had these men possessed and under his control and under his authority in a place of death. You think of a graveyard, that's almost like the enemy's mantle with all of his trophies. That each headstone, he says, that's death. That's what I inflicted. That's what I imposed. But what he doesn't understand is that when you have your faith and hope and trust in Christ, that that headstone is a marker of a threshold going into an eternity. And it's even a reminder of the loss that the enemy faces. These two men, violence and fear were their reputation. There were people that would take the long way out of town to avoid confronting these men. It says that they tried to chain them and they could break the chains. They they were violent against other people. They were violent against themselves. That's the destructive nature of the enemy, that when he consumes us, when he's able to get inside of us and consume us and drive us under his authority, that we become very destructive. And that really that wake of death or destruction is in the path that we leave behind us. These men had been cast out by society. They didn't even want them in the town. I can imagine trying to do a funeral service. Like, well, let's, do, let's have the service at the church and we'll just send somebody out to do the graveside stuff so we don't have to deal with these people. It affected the entire community. Now, let me, let me explain something because we, we tend to, in churches, we tend to shy away from teaching about this because we want the fluff. We want, <laughs> this is the hard stuff and we always try to avoid the hard stuff. But let me help you explain something. These two men were possessed by a demon, which means the authority of the enemy was inside of them and controlling them. As a Christ follower, when we put our faith in Christ, 
Jesus told Nicodemus that when you're born again, spirit gives birth to spirit. And so when we put our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit then enters us and and starts to dwell within us. Our body becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, here we see some, some fighting getting ready to happen when Jesus just steps in the area on the scene and the demons are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Who are you? Why have you come here, son of God? Are you, if you come to torment us before it's time? You see, God will not dwell with Satan. It ain't going to happen. He says, this has already been done. I'm not, this is just period. He cannot dwell with God. So as a Christ follower, when we have been transformed and the Holy Spirit is living in us, we cannot be possessed by an enemy, by the demons, by Satan. However, we can be oppressed. Think about when we talked about the storms last week. There can be external events going on that rock us internally. There are demons and the enemy that do the work of of the, the devil that will come against us and will try to beat everything down around us so that internally what starts happening is our peace gets robbed, our joy gets taken away, our, our, every comfort that we enjoy through God starts to get shaken. And they start to steal our joy, rob us of our peace, and kill our relationship with God. Because then we start to think that God can't handle this. And that's where the oppression of the enemy will come at a Christ follower. He wants to stop you, to stop me, to stop us from doing anything effective for God, period. Because he knows that anytime we show love, anytime we speak of the name of Jesus, anytime we extend a hand to help and pick someone up, that when we do that in the name of Jesus, he gets the glory for it, that Jesus has been made clear to someone who may not have a relationship with him, that's an attack and a threat against the enemy. And he wants us ineffective. He cannot change our eternity. When we've put our faith in Christ, he cannot take it from us. But what he can do is make us ineffective to do anything for the kingdom of God for the rest of our life. And he will start to oppress us. He tries to suppress what God wants to do in us. He'll he'll send us through a depression. He'll inflict anything he can to rock us at our core. And so we have to be aware that there is activity that goes on around us that tries to attack us. And they will try to steal us of everything that God wants to give us. Let me, let me go on here. In verse, uh, we'll start in verse 30 now. Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, If you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, Go. There it is, the word. He can say the word and it happens. He didn't get all worked up or freaky about it. He didn't say, I need some anointing oil. I need some candles. I need an old priest and a young priest. He he just said, go. There's power in the word of Jesus. We don't have to get worked up and go, oh, the enemy's coming to attack me. What are we going to do? Oh, I got to get like eight people around me, start praying. Call up my prayer warriors. You know, get on email. Send out an email prayer chain. We got to be praying and get all worked up. No, in the name of Jesus, go. And we can live and operate in the same peace that Jesus is modeling for us here. He says, go. He gave him permission to leave and and his authority drove them out. 
So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Some people think that Jesus killed the pigs. Let me just point this out to you. If the enemy's agenda is to steal, kill, and destroy, what we just saw here, that when the the demons left these men and entered into the pigs, we saw the destructive power of the enemy at work. And I really believe that, that these demons, this enemy, would have eventually killed these men living in the graveyard. I think the enemy likes to do it slow because he likes to inflict as much pain. He loves when we are in pain. He loves when God is burdened with our pain. And I don't, I don't know how heavy of a situation or I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but God is concerned with that. God's heart cares for the things that we go through. We don't serve a distant God who wants to be king and lord it over our life and sit back and rule us from afar. He wants to be involved. He has beautiful, humble power. He has absolute authority that is not corrupt. And that sometimes is hard for us to reconcile in our minds that he is involved with that. What you see here, Jesus, he cares more about people than pigs. It's not that Jesus doesn't care about the pigs. He created them. He owns everything. In the book of Psalms, it says that he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. What can you give God that he doesn't already own? He's concerned with his creation. But there's something about us as people when he made us and formed us in his image and he breathed his life into us. That is what is willing for Jesus to step on earth and say, I will go to the cross so that we can be reconciled with people. And what's happening is there are people that are under the the oppression and bondage of the enemy and Jesus is willing to do what it takes to free them. And so what we see here is Jesus saying, there's someone in bondage, they need to be freed. I am the power and authority that can free them. Go. And then they're free. I mean, can you imagine this? instantaneously it says that they were calm that the demons left them there was a peace that came over them they were different people i mean i i can only imagine the sores and and that they would cut themselves i i I like to think that jesus healed them all because jesus is concerned with us holistically not just our spirit but our mind and our body. And he desires us to be healthy and well in all areas of our life. So when he said go, I, man, just imagine, mentally they are stable. Things happen. They're able to think clearly. Spiritually they're free. That oppression and that, that connection with Christ is now made. And then physically their bodies are restored. And they, are, they don't need to live among this death anymore. I mean, it's just instantaneously if i were one of the disciples i would i I don't know how i would have responded i don't know if i would have fallen down in in humility and going i cannot believe i just saw this and got to experience this i have no idea how i would react i have seen god do big things in our church community i have seen god do big things in people's lives and i respond with praise and when i encounter jesus I am led to praise him and worship him because of who he is. And I see his power at work. And Jesus is concerned about our freedom. And so let's, let's keep going here. Let's look at this. 
Matthew 8.33, we'll finish this out. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into town, and reported all of this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. The whole town went out to meet Jesus. Here's where you think it's, this is going to just get exciting now. The whole town goes out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. I, sometimes I just wish I could go back in time. You know, Let's jump in the DeLorean and go back and smack him and go, do you realize what you have just done? Do you realize who you had with you? And what happens is the people of the town are more, I think, they're more concerned with pigs than people. I'm sure I'm, I mean, think about the people tending the pigs. These guys, I mean, they see these men step off a boat, come in, and they're like, oh, man, the the two demon guys are going to go get them. I mean, they're probably like, I'm not going to get in because I've seen how violent they can be, but I like to see a good fight, so we'll watch. It's it's like a train wreck on TV. You can't, you're like, I know I need to change it, but man. And so they're watching, and all of a sudden they see this interchange, and then these two men go calm, and then their pigs go nuts, and then they just take off running, jump off the cliff and in the lake. They're like, what just happened? And they go back and they tell the town, hey, the two guys in the cemetery that were crazy, that were demon-possessed, they're fixed. I mean, it was just amazing. It was not 12 steps. You know, uh, Dr. Phil didn't show up and say, let me tell you what you're going to do. No, this this guy showed up. He said, go. And man, it was gone. But here's the downside. They went into the, whatever was in them went in the pigs and the pigs are gone. Uh, The townspeople are like, what? I mean, peace could have been restored to their community because these men who they cast out can now be involved in their community and involved in their families but they're concerned about their loss. See, they realized and they asked Jesus to leave because it cost them something. It cost them a hit to their economy, to the men tending the pigs. It, could have, it, it may have cost them their jobs. Following Jesus comes with a cost. The question is, are we willing to pay that cost to submit to that power and authority that can help us live a free life or are we willing to continue to submit so that we stay in bondage and we're not willing to pay the cost? I think a lot of times we pray for God to show up big time and when he does, we don't like what it costs us and we ask him to leave. We're like, God, thank you for freeing me, but man, you got to go. You are, this is just not good. But thank you. You know, I will always praise you for freeing me. But man, we can't, we can't continue this relationship. Let's just be friends. Um, and it costs them. We have to understand that when we pray and when Jesus steps on the scene, his power, his authority, when it begins to work in our life, he will always give us what we need, not always what we want. Those are two very different things. You see, these men... Jesus recognized these men needed to be free. These men needed to be away from the bondage of chains and oppression. But the townspeople were like, but we we know that. I'll, I'll give you that. But we need our economy. We need to make a living. We need to be sustained. We need, we need the pigs. And... and 
we have to understand that when God gives us what we need, that he is able to see. This is the sovereignty of God here, that he's able to see above everything else and to say, what I'm doing is best, not just for you, but for the entire kingdom. And I know you want this, but this is what you need. And that's why when we pray, when we pray, we say, God, your will be done. When we pray in the name of Jesus, I don't say in Jesus' name just so we can all get ready to say amen together. It's so that we all submit to the will of God to say all power and authority in heaven and on earth, let it be so that you give us what we need so that we can praise you, so that we can do what we can do to make your kingdom what it should be. So that we can live the life you've created us to live outside of this bondage, outside of addiction, outside of pain, outside of all of the baggage that we bring on in life. In Jesus' name, let it be. That's the authority and power that we pray to. And Jesus desires to be king. He stepped onto earth so that he could be king, so that he could pay the price so we can be reconciled and restored in a relationship with God. And he desires to be king. Matthew is writing, the king you've been waiting for, he's here. But Jesus will not impose himself. He will not force himself upon us. He's not a king that takes us by force. The force that Jesus exerts is over the enemy and over the real power of darkness so that we can be rescued. And he doesn't come in and say, I'm your king, you must bow to me, you are my loyal subject. He wants our decision for obedience to be out of love. It's that when we experience and encounter this power of God, that it moves us to humility and we say, I love you, that is the life that I want. That is the relationship that I desire, that this longing inside of me, that this, I know I was created for something bigger. And Jesus, you have just shown me what that is. And I can submit my life to that because I'm tired of living the mundane. I'm tired of living the ordinary. I need something more. So we have to ask ourselves, how do we respond to authority? That when Jesus steps on the scene, are we willing to live with the enemy? I I know a lot of marriages that get stuck in mediocrity for the kids. Let me challenge you. Don't let your marriage be stuck in mediocrity for the kids. Your kids need to see an amazing marriage. Your kids need to see mom and dad in love. And that power can restore that relationship. Don't be willing to just live and deal and be content and try to get by with the enemy. We were not created for that. And God wants us to be free of that. But when you ask God to show up, I mean, do we respond to his authority by asking God to leave? Look, that's all well and good for you. And I I I want that good life. You know, I want, you know, if you think being a Christian is a good life, you got to, I'm sorry, break your bubble. I know it's a hard weekend. I'm going to break your bubble again. It's not. Sometimes following God and submitting to Christ makes life harder because now 
we have just put a bullseye on our back with the enemy. Think about um, Braveheart's one of my all-time favorite movies. But think about that style of battle. And you've got the king on the field. And the flag bearers are beside the king and the king's there. What does the enemy try to do? Get the king. If you can kill the king, the enemy scatters, man. Game over. Land ours. Think about the men who move closer in the ranks to the king. When the archers step up, there's going to be more arrows flying, right? The closer we get to God, it's not us. The enemy's aiming for the king, but the closer we get to God, the more stuff may come at us. I'm not trying to discourage you from being a Christ follower. This really should encourage you because that power is what has defeated the enemy. And so we have to decide, well, do we want God to leave? That Whoa, whoa, God, man, you stepped in, all these arrows started flying. Whoo, budget was good until you showed up. Man, the kids were, life was good. I've been through hard stuff with my family. I have been through hard stuff budget-wise, finance-wise, job-wise, all, all that oppression that comes in. And Heather had, and I had to lock in together and say, this will not destroy our peace. This, God, we do not want you to leave. We want the enemy who's forcing this oppression on us, who is attacking our kids, who's attacking us in our job, who's attacking us in our family, we want that enemy gone. We want your peace and your joy, your hope to be here, foundational in our family. Too many times when it gets hard, we ask God to leave. Or do we respond by following Jesus? Legion, after he was healed, when Jesus obliged the request to leave, he was getting in the boat. In Luke 8, it says that he came to Jesus and begged to go with him. He says, let me follow you. Let me go with you. There's three prayers that, that were encountered in this little narrative. The first prayer was of the demons to Jesus. They said, let us go into the pigs. And Jesus said, yes. Go. The second prayer was the townspeople to Jesus, leave. And Jesus said, okay, and obliged. The third prayer was the man that he freed from bondage, said, let me follow you, and Jesus said, no. Jesus knew that, that his life, his testimony, his witness could be more effective in the community that just kicked him out than sitting in the boat with Jesus. He didn't need to physically follow Jesus to follow Jesus, if you get what I'm saying. And so when we experience that authority, I've said, we will either respond in obedience or rejection. Those are really the two choices we make. We can say, well, I'm not ready to make that choice. You just have. You've rejected it until you feel like you're ready. And I think we have to understand how do we respond to this authority. I have to make a conscious decision every day to say, God, I'm going to follow you. God, I'm going to serve you. God, I want to live the life you've created me to live. I don't think any of us wake up and go, you know, I'm really unhappy with the way things are going. It looks like the enemy's winning right now. I'm switching sides. <laughs> no, I, I don't think, well, I know there's some people out there, but there is possession going on. I think we make that decision and that choice through the way we subtly live our life. That when we, I call them pet sins, we have perpetual or ongoing sin in our life that we fail to confess or that we justify out of confessing and we let that just stay there. I, I call it our pet sin. And yes, your pastor has them. I'm imperfect just like you. This is a bubble-breaking day, isn't it? 
Next week, we're going to talk about smiling for Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But when we make those decisions to continue our life in that, what happens is we're making a choice to say, God, your power, I want it here but not here. I believe your power is here but not in this area. This, This one I want to keep for myself. This, this one's mine. And we start to open the door for the enemy to start to come in. Well, here's what happens. The enemy, he's not stupid. He's a liar, but he's not stupid. I understand a lot of the things that he does is futile, but he's very smart and he'll work his way in. The Bible tells us that even anger can give the enemy a foothold. And he knows us. He's not all present. He's not, he can't see all, know all, do all. But he has demons that do his bidding for him that will report back. And like, you know, Matt was really struggling. Man, when we kind of hit him this way, uh, I think if we hit him a couple more times, he might fall. Maybe he's going to go hit him. And if I leave that door open, the next thing I know is my life has become something of bondage or I'm caught in an addiction or I'm living this oppressed life or I'm dealing with this depression that I cannot get out of. And then I have to confess that, close the door to sin and say, Jesus, let your power free me from this. And I was going to challenge you this week to check the doors. You know, at night before I go to bed, I go around the house and I check the doors but I know that I do, and I, I, I'm going to step out on a limb and say some of you do have open doors in your life where the enemy can get in. So don't just check them. The challenge this week is close them. So how do we close them? We call on the name of Jesus. And it is a relationship with Jesus. It is a submission to Jesus. Don't go trying to fight an enemy this week or a demon and say, in the name of Jesus that Matt preached... That will not bode well for you. It happened in Acts where these men, they said, we tried to cast out a demon in the name of the Jesus Paul preaches. The demon came out, but they threw those guys a beating. They were naked and bleeding. I've got a good friend that says, if you start a fight fully clothed and in naked, you lost. (laughs) There's no way to explain that one. We call upon the name of Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who set foot on earth to be our sacrifice, to be our agent of reconciliation to the Father so that the authority that has been given him over the enemy is at work in my life and in your life. So as we move into communion, let me me challenge you. Um, Our ushers are going to get up and get ready to hand out communion. We're going to Have time. Communion, you do not have to be a member of this church to take communion. We just ask that you have a relationship with Christ because that is what it's about. This is family time. When we are in a relationship with Christ, we are family. And we do this, we do this often. And this is to remember that sacrifice that Jesus made. And so... This, these elements, this juice and this bread is really a symbol of the power at work on the cross and is a symbol of the power that God has over the enemy. That God submit, Jesus submitted himself to the cross, but in doing so, overcame death, overcame the grave, overcame the enemy, 
and get this, overcame the oppression of the enemy that faces us in our life. You see, the cross is not just a place where we can be forgiven of sin. The cross is the place where we can be freed from the grasp of the enemy. And so what I want us to do is when you get your elements, if you will just if you'll just close your eyes and bow your head. I I just want you to do just I'm praying for you to be self-aware in this moment. I'm praying for you to have some time of reflection. There's a prayer that David prayed and said, God, search my heart. You know my ways. Reveal if there's any evil way in me. I pray that as, as we've had to talk through really a dark subject, that, that it might have stirred something up. You know what? That's the Holy Spirit bringing that to the surface. I want you to take a minute and just reflect on that and say, God, are there areas in my life that I'm withholding from you, that, that I have my, my pet sin, that I'm not letting your power and your authority have complete control. And if you're like me, not if, but when, those come to the surface. Confess those to God. You don't confess those to me. You don't confess your sins to man. We can confess in an accountability group, but I can't save you of your sins. I can't forgive you of your sins. It is the power of God that frees us from our sin. It is the power of God that frees us from death. I just pray that you make that decision to follow Jesus. Quit being content to live with the enemy. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for the sacrifice of Jesus. We thank you that you uh, set foot on earth, that you became God in man. And we don't always understand, but it's the faith that helps us believe. And Father, we just ask that as, as we know we have areas, we are sinful people, that you, your word tells us that we fall short of the glory. We don't use that as a crutch or a justification to continue to live in our sin. But God, we confess that. That through your sacrifice at the cross, we can be forgiven. And God, there is no sin that is greater than the other. The, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. And God, we gather at the foot of the cross now. It is an empty cross, but we gather there as a symbol of the freedom that you provide. God, we know the tomb is empty through the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And that is why we celebrate and honor and remember communion this Lord's Supper. God, it's all the power behind the symbols. We don't get hung up on the symbols. We don't get hung up on the religion of just doing things, but Father, we submit to the power and authority that you have and that you work in our life. Father, would you free us this morning? 
Would you free us from the areas that we have let the enemy possess in our lives? Would you free us from the oppression that the enemy is pushing in on us? God, would you free us in our marriage? Would you give us the courage and the strength to say, no longer will we live with the enemy. We don't want to live in mediocrity because that will lead to destruction. But Father, we want to live free. We want to live healthy. We want to live whole lives in submission to your power and authority. And Father, if there's anyone in here that does not have a relationship with you, it's not the magic words of a prayer. It's just a heart saying, God, I need freedom. I need freedom from my sin. I need freedom from my chains, freedom from my myself, freedom from the enemy. And God, we just lay our heart out to you and ask for the faith to believe, to accept a sacrifice on our behalf so we can be free. It's not the words, it's the heart, it's the faith, it's the hope, it's the power that you display. Father, that power displayed meekness as you submitted yourself to the cross, that you allowed your power to be restrained with three nails. So that on the third day, the power was manifest in freedom over death, freedom over the enemy, freedom over the grave, and freedom in our life. We love you.